pleased to be able to share with you again this morning. And uh, and I do I do want to talk a little bit about about worship in a, in a variety of ways this morning. And uh, but as I introduce that, I just want to uh, so, you know in 1992 I had the opportunity to to go to China and uh, with Youth with a Mission. And you can see I still was a bit of a holdover from the 80s. Um, how about those pants? Eh? Those, uh, I loved those pants when I had them. I tell you. <laughs> and I was working on a really nice mullet at the same time, actually. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, my trip to Mexico was an eye-opener, not for those reasons, uh, but for a variety of other reasons. One was that, you know, we actually, uh, you know, that was three years after some major uprisings in China where uh, communism uh, and just the experience of that communism was incredible. And so uh, we saw in Tiananmen Square the, the repaired bullet holes uh, in the main square, and a lot of the marble work and such that was there, um, still stains on the concrete from from the uprising that was smashed by the communist government, and and we experienced, um, you know, uh, the oppression in a different way. Uh, it's too bad that Walter's not here today, because when we were, um, one of the things that we had to do is we had to be very conscious of what we were saying, what we were doing as Christians in that communist country, and and. So one of the things that we did was um, we kind of used a lot of code language uh, in our Christian walk. And so we talked to Walter uh, each and every day. Now, Walter was basically Jesus or God for us. But we had we wanted to do that so that we could actually have times of interaction and prayer, um, particularly in the university that we attended for five weeks um, but we just, yeah, we had to do that. And we, we talked about vertical communication as opposed to prayer. And we got to know some of the ladies that took care of us in the school that we went to. And, and even those relationships, as they were growing, ended up being where well, suddenly one girl just disappeared from the workforce. And, and nobody would be able, was able to tell us what happened to her. I don't think she was killed, but I think she was uh, placed in a new position because there was this... And so then we wonder, is, is that our fault? You know, do we share too much? It was a, so it was very, um, the experience of communism was, was very startling and at times oppressive for us. I remember um, Jackie Pullinger, if that might be a name that few of you know, but we attended her church on the way out of China. And I just remember the, the whole service for me, I was just one big cry fest. And I think the reason was is that we had just we had actually just crossed the border into Hong Kong and just the release of that oppressiveness of that of that place where where true Christianity was they were seeking to stamp it out. But as as startling and oppressive as those things were, I also experienced uh, some other things. And one of the things that I had never experienced before was the worship of idols. And so we visited a number of of temples and uh, and and encountered a variety of representations of various gods. And so people were coming offering incense and, and food and money uh, and prayers to things that were made of bronze, of gold, of wood, and even porcelain. And I began to see and to understand, you know, because I think for a lot of us, at least here in North America, for the most part, we don't actually see that all that often. And uh, began to understand what the Bible was saying about idols and the worship of idols and how uh, they draw people to themselves. 
And I'm not necessarily here this morning to talk about various gods or, or the world religions. That's another talk for another time. But I do want to be able to share a little bit. What does it mean to consider um, to worship uh, gods, small g gods, and uh, as well as our God? And I'm and because uh, I think it's more important. I think it's very important uh, because this is what the Bible has said. It says, um, and it's talking about uh, sacrifices, particularly food that is offered uh, to the various small g gods. The Bible says, do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? So this is the Apostle Paul talking to people who are very much in this kind of context in the East where they're used to worshiping and bowing down and, and sacrificing to idols. And he says, so does that really mean anything? He says, no, but the sacrifices of those people are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. And so um, this could be a challenging word in some ways because we live in a, in a very multi- multicultural society. And, and what's good for you is good for you. And what's good for me is good for me. And, and let's just leave it there. But the Bible is very clear. That there is, uh, when we begin to worship idols, the idols themselves are actually nothing. They're wood, they're metal, porcelain, they're, they're, they're actually nothing. And yet behind them stands, you know, demonic influences, spiritual influences that offer, seem to offer life, but they actually, as Jesus said, you know, he said this, he says, you know, the, the devil is like a thief. He comes to only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And it comes sometimes in sheep clothing. It looks pretty good. But he, but he actually offers something very different. And so, in these ancient religions, you know, things would be offered as a means of either appeasing. You can just put that down for a second, Gary. Um, if you can go back to the other one and just leave it for a second. But they would offer things either to appease the gods. So, either the god is very angry and we need to deal, you know, we need to try to get him to be happy with us. Or we want to keep him happy so that he'll give us the things that we need. We have to just continually do that to, to keep him happy. And so, you know, it might start with a simple offering like grain or fruit. Or maybe something that we make out of that. that, that we, then we offer that. So we offer maybe a, the bread or, or you know, some, some other things out of the fruit and vegetables that, we, that we've grown. But the thing about idols is that those those things work for a while, it seems, but then not. And what happens is that we so okay. So what what do they what do they need from us? And so maybe we begin to offer uh, a little bit more. Maybe we begin to offer our livestock and we you know the animals and and because we gotta you know they must be mad at us, so we gotta make sure that they feel better. And and that seems to work for a time, but then we have to offer something else. And so you know what in many cultures at many different times you know human sacrifice became part of the way to appease the gods to say. Oh, please don't be angry with us. Here, let's, let's, we give you our enemies. So, you know, they take the captors and they would actually offer them as a sacrifice to try to either appease the gods, to stop them being angry, or to please them so that they would bless them. And eventually we find that in many cultures, um, the idols would ultimately demand the very thing that is most precious to you, where children would be sacrificed. 
And it is the story of idolatry throughout the ages, both then and now, both in the East and in the West, actually. That as we give our worship, if we, as we misdirect it to the idols that, that, demand, that just keep demanding more and more and more. Now, we don't know very many, if any, cultures that now practice child sacrifice. Or do we? And we don't really experience this kind of worship of idols, uh, many of us anyways, uh, personally. Um, and yet, does that mean that we in the West actually don't offer our worship to various idols? I think actually we do. And, uh, and so I'd like to start with an example um, that's fairly common. And we talk about it a lot in our church because we're, we're grateful that people have been set free from this of these types of idols. Um, you're feeling miserable. Maybe you're feeling a little bit insecure, like I was as a young adult. And you want to be able to, to be, you know, accepted, and you want to be liked and loved, and you want to, you know, you don't want to be the downer of the party, you want to be the life of the party. And so you you hear the invitation for Know, of something that would actually silence those uh, demons or, or that would make you feel like you're more than just you know, an insecure, insignificant individual. And so uh, they would make us more like God. We're untouchable. We're free. We're just like God. We're, we heard that before. And so we come across it and it promises life, the life that we want. And so as, as Eve and Adam in the garden, we bite the apple or in what we would say in our times we would say that you know we take the pill or we take the drink or maybe we use the needle and it starts out great we feel strangely warm most of us have experienced this in some way let's just be honest okay (laughs) we feel strangely warm we feel and we do we feel a little bit more relaxed we feel a little more free and suddenly and you know it seems like the idol is working just like it did in all those other cultures it's it's actually doing what it said it would do but only for a time. And then just like the idols of various cultures, it begins to demand more. If you want to feel that way, well, then you have to have a little bit more. If you, if you want a little bit more freedom, then you have to do this. And the idol becomes more demanding. It wants more of our money. It wants more of, it actually starts to take our food because we're taking so much other stuff that we don't actually want to eat anymore. So it's interesting. The idol is demanding all these places of sustenance and things that support us. And it begins to actually uh, take those things that are most precious to us, our relationships. It starts to take away, you know, maybe it's uh, driving under the influence and we actually take, uh, begin to take a life. And ultimately, the idol, is, that's never enough. What does the idol want? It wants the thing that is most precious to us. It wants our children. And so children are given up to social services. Uh, Children are born with fetal alcohol syndrome or other like things. The, the idol, it's just, it's never pleased. It just wants more and more until ultimately, if that isn't enough, then it will take our life. Unless there is an intervention of some kind of by someone, our very life is gone. And so on the one hand, we can look at those former pictures and say, well, there is no worship of idols in our, uh, you know, in our culture. But in very much there is. 
And I bowed to that God for a time in my young adult years. It made me feel great. My insecurity being in a new place with new people at a new college, I was able to just kind of be free. Suddenly that day, he was the life of the party, not just the shy little guy in the corner. But it was beginning to demand more and more. And, and thankfully, I probably shared this before, but the place where God most often spoke to me was actually in the bathroom of the bar that I, that I hang out at. Because it was the one place that was actually quiet enough that I could hear. God is faithful. I praise him for that faithfulness. And I only share that because I, I believe I could have continued to go down that road. Two members of my family, one has struggled with alcohol and has, has come away, and the other is still an alcoholic. It's in my family. I'm vulnerable in that respect. But I'm thankful that Jesus has, um, has saved me from that. And so that one might be a little bit obvious, but I... You know, what's, what's not so obvious is this, that there's actually an idol behind it. And so one of the great things about, you know, 12-step programs is what? That we recognize that we need, need a higher power. And the reason we need a higher power is because the alcohol or the, or the drug itself as an idol is, is in one sense nothing. It is very powerful, but it's what is behind it. There is a demonic influence that is demanding our very life. And I think there's another way, too, that surely addiction isn't the only idol in our culture. And I just want to go with you, if you will, um, to another temple. And in many cities, people go to this temple regularly, at least once a week, maybe several times a week. And the worship center has familiar images that assure us that we'll find what we need and often has flags and, and maybe little plastic idols that... Come here, come here. And as seekers enter that building, they're often greeted with a large map. So, you know, we oftentimes will hand out a bulletin so you can kind of have a sense of what's going on in the church. And so you come into this worship center and it's got a big map and it says, oh, you can get this there and you can get that there. Just, just follow me. And as we go in, it's much like the Christian church. This worship space has a calendar and it marks the different seasons. And so, you know, you can go to this worship space and at Christmas it'll be decorated a certain way with various colors. And you go at back to school time and it'll have banners and such to say, come, come, get what you need. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do the back school bash, by the way, because there are basic needs. But it's like, come, come. And uh, uh, all throughout the year, there's these different festivals. These And people will sometimes, you know, Boxing Day, right? People will have uh, an all-night prayer vigil just waiting to go into, into, the, into the worship space because they got to get, you know, they need to get this thing. And yeah, like standing with the, the glass windows, you know, for oftentimes the, throughout the history of the church, the, the story of our gospel has been portrayed in, in artwork in the windows. And it's interesting that this worship space also has uh, artwork. It has uh, yeah, figures that are nicely dressed and, and posters. It's colorful. It's inviting. It says, follow me, uh, imitate me. And then, the, you know, just like every good worship, uh, every good religion is going to have its uh, evangelists. And it hands out tracts to us every week. Comes in the newspaper, comes in the mail. It's like... Hey, come to this. Get this. It'll be your salvation. It's going to be awesome. Your life is going to be radically changed if you just buy fill in the blank. 
It's an evangelism that's going on, inviting us to worship. And then ultimately, the, you know, the worshipers go into uh, the various uh, storefront chapels and they begin to, to check out the, the scriptures to find out what it's all about. And so they search through, through the racks. And ultimately, what do we do? We look for uh, the thing that is the greatest buy for the least amount of investment. Oh, got a good deal. Might be something there about worship. We're looking for the greatest blessings with the smallest amount of offering. But finding the blessing that we hope for, we, what, what do we do? We actually go up to the altar and we lay down that which is valuable to us, to the priest or the priestess that is across the counter. And all the while we say, you know, the items that we buy, oh man, that is to die for. That's an interesting phrase. Sometimes we say it about food, sometimes we'll say it about a product, but that, oh man, that is to die for. And I don't just want to talk about going to the mall as just a metaphor for religion. I, there is very much, in a sense, a religious ritual that happens. There are seasons where we make pilgrimages, particularly those of us in Port Alberni. Where do we often go? We go over the hump. We go to the place of worship where there's more and more and more that we can, that we can get. We, and uh, and there's, there's symbols and there's liturgies and there's rituals that we participate in over and over again. And here, too, you know, we actually have child sacrifice. The three different, I think in three different ways. One is that, um, you know, many of our kids are going to college, and I pray this, this won't be their experience, but in North America, what credit card companies do is they seek to get kids to buy brand loyalty very quickly. And so they actually try to offer kids credit, easy credit, easy credit. And there, I've read stories, maybe some of you have read them, where, um, you know, young adults start using that, start using it, well, I just need to get this, and I just need to get that, and suddenly it's one, two, five, ten, seventeen thousand dollars. I read one story where somebody was so in debt, and they were so ashamed, and so didn't see a way out that they actually took their own life. But there's other stories, again, maybe we've heard of these, where um, it happens at the time of, of a launch of various products. That's happened several times with Air Jordans, uh, the shoes. And, uh, and I read a couple of stories where uh, young people were either given a voucher so that they could get these shoes, or they, they made the purchase, and as soon as they wore them, somebody said, I want that. And they actually killed the child for their shoes. And that's not to say anything about where these products are made. What is happening to the, to the people in the factories, the teens in the factories, maybe even the children in the factories, where the things that we worship are made? Now, of course, we need clothes. You are, right now, you're very thankful that I am fully dressed. Okay? And, and when, when sin first entered the world, God said, those leaves aren't, they don't, they don't do it for me, Adam and Eve. Here, let me give you something else. So God covers the shame. Clothing is, is okay. And, and hey, you know, a variety of clothing is okay. If, if we look at the world that God has created, I mean, we probably could have just had, you know, maybe apples and oranges. 
maybe bananas. You know, but how many different types of fruit are there? Uh, you know, the fields could have just been full of grass, but he's filled them with such a variety of of plants and of colors. And so, so God is very creative, and He wants a creative expression from us. So, so that's not necessarily the issue. But at one point, do we do what Paul says in Romans? He says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is to be forever praised. And I guess what I want to do this morning is I just wanted to to alert us that that we actually participate in worship services that are outside of Sunday morning. And we are actually uh, bowing in many ways to idols that we, we weren't even maybe necessarily aware of it. But it's important to note it because God is so concerned that we order our worship rightly. He wants to make sure that you know, all of us are going to worship. So it's just a matter of which God are we going to worship. And God wants us to worship him. And sometimes it seems like, like God is really like self-absorbed. You know, if we read after the people were set free from, from slavery in Egypt and God gives them the commands, and this is the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, it says, God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And I used to, like, jealous, jealousy is not really a good thing. Is it? So, so why is God a jealous God? How does that work? Because he's perfect. He's good. How is jealousy actually? Then like it's, he says, listen, this is who I am. And this is what I, th- I think what it is, is that, that God knows that when we don't direct our worship in the right direction, what happens is death. We've seen it throughout the cultures and we see it in our own culture. When we begin to bow down ultimately to various idols, when we worship in places that are not centered on God, but on really on ourselves, that people begin to suffer. People die. And God does not want that. And so God is a jealous God because he says, look, there's only one place of worship. There's only one direction of worship, and it has to be me. Why? Not so because I'm self-absorbed, because it's the only way that you will actually release life and not death. So a proper worship means that we have proper relationships, and it means that we have justice. But it's also this, what we read this morning in Psalm 115, that God knows this. He says, those who make them, and he's talking about idols, will be like them, and so will everyone who trusts in them. So it's not just the people that are making the idols. Everyone that trusts in something else other than God, they actually become like the thing that they worship. And so why does God desire our worship? God desires our worship so that we can actually become more like him. Those who trust in them will be like them. And so every other God, and we've just explored a very few today. You know, one of the idols that I wrestle with off and on is workaholism, is is pouring myself into my work and neglecting my, my vertical relationships and sometimes my horizontal relationships. 
Uh, there's workaholism, there's success, there's a variety of things that we begin to go after. And every one of them wants to take. But our God is a God who gives. So he says, worship me and you'll become like me. How many of us would rather be generous as opposed to stingy? Yeah. How many of us would, would like to be able to lavish gifts on people instead of it always just being about us? Our world gets real small because we can begin to look at ourselves and ourselves and ourselves. But God wants to call us into an expansive vision of life. He says, worship me and you'll become like me. Other gods make promises that they cannot keep, but God is faithful to all his promises. His mercies are new every morning, the Bible tells us. How many of us would desire to be faithful? How many know when, when faithfulness or you know, commitments, covenants and relationship are broken, how, how devastating that is to us? We all want to be faithful because we know that, that that is where life happens. All other gods come up short at death. But our God is the resurrected one. And so if you want to become like Jesus, the resurrected one, worship him. You too will be able to have life and life to its fullest, life in ways that we've never had before. And every other God takes that which is most dear to us, even our children. And we have conversations around here about what about the next generation? Will we make it as a church to see the next generation follow the God that we, that we worship and adore? And, um, you know, the beautiful thing is that the God that we worship does not take our children. But he gives. Several times, you know, if you begin to hear some of these uh, atheist speakers, they'll say, well, what kind of God would come up to a man like Abraham and say, give me your firstborn son? I don't want to follow that kind of God. But what's beautiful and most uh, important in that story, it, it does, it rubs against our sensibilities. It's like, what kind of God are you that you would even ask such a thing? But in Abraham's time, when the nations around him, when they went to worship, what did their worship lead to? We already talked about that, that their worship led ultimately to, to child sacrifice, which, which was abomination to God. He did not, he just, he, he, his heart is broken, his anger flares up because of these lives that are lost. And so God brings Abraham to a place and he says, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. And just as Abraham raises a knife, Sends an angel and says, stop. Amen. Amen. Thank you. He stops. Why does God do this? God does this because he says, there's, there's no other God like me. Every other God will demand the things that are precious of you. Ultimately, your own child. But I don't do that. I offer a substitute. And so in the story of Abraham, we have a ram that is sacrificed and not Isaac, his son. And ultimately, that ram is, is pointing to the one who would be given by God, his one and only son. There is only one who will sacrifice his child. And that is God, our Father. There is no other God like him. And so if we want to be a people like that, we have to come to worship him because those who worship him will become like him. And all of us, I believe, that God is love, is the fruits that he gives are joy and peace and faithfulness and goodness and kindness. All the things that we desire 
are actually found in him. And if we will but worship him, we will become like him. And as we become like him, we actually image him to the rest of the world. And that is who we desire to be as, as God's people in this place, I believe. And so I guess the invitation this morning is that, that we would um, come to a place where, um, like Jesus, we come to a place of both power and of vulnerability. I share this passage from the Gospel of John quite regularly because it, it astounds me, this description of Jesus. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In Jesus we have the highest of power and the greatest of vulnerability as a servant and then ultimately offering his life uh, for us. And the invitation this morning is that we would come to worship uh, God as Jesus did. The one who said, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Everything that I have, Father, it's, it's now yours. There's nothing left. I'm dying. God calls us that as we do that, that we will become like him and experience the resurrected life that he always intended. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us and then I'm just going to invite the ministry team and the worship team to, the ministry team to be able to pray for people and, and the worship team to, to come and lead us in a declaration of our devotion to Jesus.